as we come to God's word this morning, let's just come to him in prayer. Let's come before his throne of mercy and just ask him to take these words today and to penetrate it right into our hearts so it will bring change. That's why we're here. Let's just come before our Lord. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we know that it's true. And that when we open its pages, we know that these are your thoughts given to us as mere mortals. The thoughts of Almighty God, the principles given to us on how we are to live. We pray, Lord, that as we look at these words in front of us, they may not just be mere words, but that you, through your Spirit, would speak right into our hearts, point out to us where we need to be changed, and then, Lord, bring that change about in our lives, we pray. So make our hearts soft now before your Word. Do your work, we pray. Amen. Turn with you, if you would, again to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. And we're going to be reading again from Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, through to chapter 3, verse 6. The second in our, on the sermons on this passage, last time we looked at what the Lord was doing in the nation. And today we're going to be seeing at what God does in the priests and in us as he brings his fire to bear on our lives. So Malachi chapter three, uh, chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. If you haven't noticed already, our theme this morning, as we look at verses 2 to 6, is going to be the theme of fire. Holy fire and judgment fire. Get that differentiation really early already. There's two fires spoken about here. The same source, but two different types of fire. Holy fire and judgment fire. In the one, the fire is used to purify And in the other, the fire is used to burn. 
in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 24. God's word describes those who have turned their backs on him and who are wise in their own eyes. And listen to these words of warning right here at the start of this message. Listen to these words of warning. Isaiah 5.24 As the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like dust. Why? For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. What is the context of the fire this morning as we look at God's word? It's holiness and purity. It's not rejecting God's law and not despising his word. Holiness and purity. Holiness and purity is serious business with the Lord. And sometimes for us as believers it is painful, but it is still serious. We always warn our kids, and I'm sure you have already, don't play with fire. Why do we do that? Because we know that it damages, and it it can really hurt, and it can kill. And so it's a very good lesson to learn while young. Some adults need to learn that one too still. And it's still a good lesson when we grow up spiritually too. Don't be flippant with your purity as believers. Christianity is no joke. Don't play with Jesus Christ. You may be consumed. Fire is not to be played with. It is serious business. You see, the nation of Israel, as we've been looking at this text in Malachi, were guilty of discontent and murmuring against God. And it was, yes, it was the old historic weakness. They had been doing this. And they carried on doing this. And that is why God sent them through the wilderness. The very same reason God sent them into exile. And now we're back at the same place. And not just that, they were starting to believe an insidious lie of their own making. And they were starting to live it out. And that was the lie that God is okay with evil. It's not so bad. God will close his eyes at our evil. And they had a second lie that they were starting to believe and implement. And that was that God was not going to deliver on his promise of sending the long-awaited Messiah. And the human political justice that would come with him. God, where are you? Where is your Messiah? Why haven't you sent him? And they were starting to believe these lies. And the Lord, through the prophet Malachi, points out to them that in their present state before him, they were not yet ready for this Messiah's coming at all. If he had to appear right then, they would not be ready. They would not be able to stand before him. Why? Because of their sin. What was their sin? Rejecting the law and despising his word. And so what does God do in this passage, specifically verses 2 to 6? God colors in the picture for them as to why they are not yet ready. And he does that for two purposes. He does that to encourage those who are walking faithfully. And secondly, he does that to warn the nation of the danger that those who are unfaithful and those who are unbelievers face a great danger. 
And that is why God colors in this picture for them. And Malachi uses the analogy of God being a fire to try and bring this picture home to them. Please note this morning, our text doesn't say that God is described as a forest fire, which which destroys indiscriminately. Neither does our text describe God as being an incinerating fire, which just consumes completely. Rather, our text describes God as a refiner's fire. And that makes all the difference. Why? Because a refiner's fire doesn't just destroy indiscriminately anything that comes at hand. It doesn't just consume utterly. What does a refiner's fire do? A refiner's fire melts down. A refiner's fire separates impurity. It burns it up and leaves a pure metal behind. And so God is described as a refining fire who refines his own, who refines believers and who brings out the gold in them. But note, our text does say that it takes fire to do this. And we're going to be looking at this fire. I'm very grateful to John Piper for looking at this passage and for bringing up four questions. And I'm going to copy his four questions this morning because they so beautifully sum up what happens in this passage. There are four questions we're going to look at this morning when we look at this fire. First question is this. Who is like a refiner's fire? When we look at our text this morning, who is described as a refiner's fire? And we'll see that in verses 1 to 3. When we look at verse 1, we see that this refiner's fire is described as the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He comes to his temple. He is the owner of the temple, the people. He is described as the messenger of the covenant with a capital M. The one who is expected, the Messiah. In other words, Jesus Christ is the refiner's fire. Let's be clear on that. And then he's described as sitting as a smelter in verse 3. And get this picture in your mind. Here is a smelter, this person sitting with with all his concentration, looking into this crucible containing a melted metal. And he's examining its purity and its clarity by the reflection that he gets of his face in that metal. And he'll stir it and take out impurity and put it back into the fire and look into the crucible and carry on melting and remelting until that impurity is gone. And he can see his face reflected clearly. Do you get that picture? You see, the Lord's concern for holiness, the Lord is concerned for the holiness of his people until we reflect him purely. And that is what the the, um, prophet is trying to drive into these people. God will be a refiner's fire until you are pure. And so who is like a refiner's fire? We see that it was the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Second question. Why must he be a refiner's fire? Why must he be a refiner's fire? Verses 3 to 4. And here I'm going to direct this specifically at believers. He's also described in that verse as fuller's soap. And that was a traditional means of whitening cloth by dumping the, 
by putting this cloth into water and then adding alkaline salt to wash out the impurities, to remove the dirt and to leave the cloth pure. You see, it's all about purity. But why must he be a refiner's fire? It's all in that word refiner. You see, Scripture says that mankind is corrupt and mankind needs refining. How do we know that? Romans 3, 23 to 25 says this. Listen to what God says about mankind. That's you and I. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. You see, all mankind... We have all been created in God's image. We are very different to the animals. God has created us as gold. Why do I say that? Because we are created in His image. We have the potential to know, to love, to trust and to reflect glory back to God. But, and here's the big but, we have all been corrupted. We are all corrupt because of Adam's sin. We've all been born in sin. I haven't made this up. God tells us this. And so you can't just say, as many do today, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and then go on with the daily business. No. The Lord God calls man to purity. He calls all mankind back to himself. And he starts the work of purification in us. We can't do it ourselves. Many have tried and many have failed. We cannot purify ourselves. Only God can bring us back to himself from our state of death. And then when God comes into our lives and he takes us from that state of corruption, he gives us new life. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, starts his work in us and he starts purifying us and he starts melting and remelting us and he starts burning away the filth and the dross, and the impurities from our hearts and from our daily practice. And you'll know yourself. You'll know the thoughts that come up in your heart. You'll know what your daily practice is like before the Lord. There's so much work that He has to do in us. There's so much impurity in us. He starts His work of melting us and remelting until He will perfect what He has started. And we have that promise in Scripture, and we'll get to it. He will perfect what he has started. And in this passage we're looking at, he starts his work with specific individuals in verse 3. Who is that? Look in your text. He starts his work with the sons of Levi. Now that's not all the believers there in Israel. That was specifically referring to the priests, to the leadership. He starts his work in the leadership of the nation. Why? so that they may present to the Lord, says our text, offerings in righteousness. You see, God wasn't concerned about these gifts that the priests were sacrificing to him from the people. Yes, he was concerned about, but that wasn't his main concern. His main concern was about the priests' hearts that weren't right before him. They had to bring right hearts to the Lord, because a right heart will bring a right offering. God was concerned about the heart. It's always been about the heart with God. God doesn't need sacrifices. God doesn't need animals 
being brought to him. He owns everything. What does God want from us? Turn with me in the Old Testament again to the book of Micah. And if you can find that one, the book of Micah, it's a few books back from Malachi. I'll help you. It starts with the letter M. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does this text say? What does God want from us as human beings? Even as we sit here this morning, what does He want from us? Micah 6, 8 says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. So what is good? Here it is. What does the Lord require of you? Three things. But to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What does God want from us? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, none of those three can be achieved if you don't have a right walk before God. You can't do justice if you haven't got a right heart. You can't love kindness if your heart isn't right. You can't walk humbly with your God if your heart is wrong with Him because He won't have anything to do with you. He's a holy God. And so that is the truth that God brings to us. You see, God wanted the hearts of those priests. That is what He was concerned about. We can only walk with God when we have pure hearts. Otherwise, we are at enmity with Him. And the other truth we see in verse 3, that God wasn't going to destroy these priests. He didn't say, I'm going to destroy you. He wanted to purify them for his service. Why, why would he want to do that? Because if God purified the leaders, they would lead properly and the people would follow, says verse 4. If the leadership is purified, says verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. And he carries on, and then you will worship me again, as you did at times, back in Egypt when I delivered you. Back in the days of old, says our text, when you were under Moses, when I first gave you my laws in former years, says the Lord. If my leadership follows me, you will follow me as my people. And that truth hasn't changed for us either today. When God starts to work in us as a body of believers here, he will always start with his leaders first. And that is a responsibility on us. And we as leaders have to be open to God working. Because if we are not, God will bypass us, push us aside, and he will carry on working with his body and he will bring up new leaders. You see, the truth is that God will have no alloys in heaven. Thank you, John Piper. God will have no alloys in heaven. Get that. God will have no mixed metals in heaven. He will have no metal there with impurity in it. God will only have pure gold in heaven. Jesus said it this way, Blessed are the who are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. All the rest will not see God. And so none of us qualify naturally. God has to do his mighty work in us to bring us from death to life to bring us from impurity to purity through the process of sanctification through our lives as he works in us. He's got to remove that impurity in us. And that is why Jesus must be the refiner's fire. So to answer that question, why must he be refiner's fire? 
because we are filled with filth. Even though God has saved us, we still have so much impurity in us. Jesus has to do his work of purifying us. You see, we can't stand as we are before the penetrating tests imposed on us by Jesus Christ. He has to do his work in us as believers. And then as he's promised, one day we will stand pure before him. How do we know that? Truth tells us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. This is God's promise to you and I. Take courage from that this morning. You might be going through a hard time of testing. You might be going through a time of fire. Take God's promise to heart this morning. This is what he says. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, here it is, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Not before then, but on that day when he appears, you will be perfect. I will be perfect. No more will we have impurities in our lives. Do you get courage from that? I didn't even hear a mini amen. Oh, good. Let's take courage from that. God does his work in us. We will be perfect. So why must he be a refining fire? You and I need purification. Don't we? Third question. And here we're looking at verse 5. How can we then come to experience this fire not as consuming but as refining? I'll repeat that. How can we come to experience this fire not as consuming but as refining? And this verse is specifically directed at unbelievers. And if you are not a believer here today, please sit up and take notes. Get rid of the rugby in your mind. Wake yourself up and listen to this if you don't believe yet and you haven't got the relationship with the Lord. This is the warning from verse 5. I'm going to read it to you. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. This is God speaking. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers. And he describes sinners before him. And those who have turned aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You see, God says here in his word that he will draw near. And when we use that phrase, and when scripture uses that phrase, to draw near, it doesn't mean that he'll gradually get there by and by. No, that's not what the word draw, draw near means at all. It, mean, it means he will deliberately and with purpose come towards you. So when God says, I will draw near... I will deliberately and with purpose come near you. And whether that's to love us, or whether that is to bring judgment, as in this text, God will deliberately and with purpose do it. And he's bringing in this text, he's bringing his judgment when he deliberately draws near. The judgment owing to you, if you are not a believer here this morning, it is owing to you. Why? Because you are still dead in your sin. You do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have rejected his law. You have turned aside from his word. And he says, I'm bringing judgment to you. And that judgment is chosen by you if you're an unbeliever here today. Because the word has been presented to you. The truth has been exposed to you so many times and you have turned aside from it. And so you have chosen this judgment as well. You've chosen to reject his messenger, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so as unbelievers, if you're here this morning, who of you can stand under the weight of his judgment? You cannot, says Scripture. And what is refinement for believers is judgment for unbelievers. Why? Our text says God will be the expert or the swift witness against you. And that phrase meant that God is the only one who can see into the heart, the one who is competent to be a witness against you. Because it's the heart that's important to God. And he's the only one who can see the heart. And so he will come as the swift witness to you and the judge of those who refuse to take correction and so are condemned in that day when he appears. God can see the hearts. And the question you and I have to ask ourselves this morning is, God can see the heart, so in what state is my heart as I sit here today? In what state is your heart? Is it perhaps rejecting the, the only one who can save you? Are you rejecting that Savior? And the warning continues, verse 5, There is fire coming, and you have to be a son of Jacob, says our text, to be saved. You've got to be a son of Jacob to experience God's faithful love on you. You see, because the promise here to us in Scripture is that God's covenant faithfulness secures the sons of Jacob. All others will be consumed. They will not be able to stand. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It gives us a little bit more insight into what will happen that day. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. You see, in that day when God comes in his judgment, there will be no more defense. You will stand alone if you're an unbeliever. And yes, the Messiah came to his own so many years ago. But he has promised to come again because he left saying, I will come again and with me will come eternal love but also eternal judgment. And that is what it will look like. And so there's a choice presented to you here this morning. You either meet the inevitable fire of God as a forest fire or as a refiner's fire. There is no third option given to us here. Only those two. A refiner's fire for believers and a terrible forest fire that just burns and burns eternally for those who are unbelievers. And so how can you be sure that you can meet God's fire as refinement and not as judgment? That's what our question is. There's only one answer. And no, it isn't. I need to get rid of my sin. You see, you can't do that. That's the role of the fire. The fire will get rid of the sin. There's only one answer. How can you meet this God as a refining fire? Well, there's only one answer. Trust in the God who brings the fire. You see, we need to trust in this one who is bringing this judgment on us. If you're an unbeliever. And that's the gospel message, isn't it? Jesus came into this earth to bring a way back to the Father so that you don't have to be under judgment. And he says, fear God, verse 5. Fear God. This is repeated right through Malachi. It's repeated right through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Fear 
God. That is how you meet God's fire as refining fire. What does it mean to fear God? It means to be terrified of not accepting His mercy and of not submitting yourself to Him as your God. It's a fear of running from God. And so, what is the fear of God? Bowing your knee to God. And when you bow your knee to God, that is when you'll receive life. Not before. And if you're an unbeliever here today, it's my task to tell you that you've heard this message again. And that one day when you stand before Him, you cannot say, I never knew. It has been given. It's the only way to not be consumed. Bow your knee to this God. And then our last question this morning is this one. And again, I point this at believers. Take comfort from this. What is life like in the refiner's fire? I'm in this fire. What is life like in this refiner's fire? Again, thank you, John Piper. When you walk with the Lord, no pain, no gain. I love that. You see, when we walk with the Lord, there's so much in us that needs refining that if we don't experience God's pain, God's fire in our lives, we will not gain perfection in Him. No pain, no gain. Gain only comes through God's fire. It's no more possible to become pure without pain than it is to put your hand above a flame and not get burned. There is pain. And maybe you're experiencing some of that in your life now. And I know there are some of you who are going through extreme fire now. See, God promises you in, your, in His Word, and please listen to His promise this morning, I will only refine you, I will not consume you. And you might think, this feels like consuming, Lord. He is refining you. He is with you in that fire. You see, the furnace of affliction in the family of God is always for refinement, never for destruction. And so this truth gives us extreme security and hope when we go through these hard times. What is this fire that we keep talking about? Well, there are four things that are shown in our text. It's the fire of affliction. First Peter 1 verse 6 speaks about you will go through, through trials of, you will go through various trials or variegated trials, different types of trials. That means all sorts of, all sorts of things which threaten your faith through hardship. They might be financial hardship. You might lose your job. You might go through constant sickness. You might have a deformed body. You might have wayward children who are always on your mind and giving you a hard time. Yes, you might even be experiencing a form of persecution wherever you might be. Whatever that fire is, God is the one who's putting you through that. Why? Not to give you a hard time, to refine you, to make you perfect in Him, to burn out that dross out of your life. And so there's the fire of affliction. There's also the fire of God's discipline in your life. And sometimes we need this. Many times we need God's discipline in our lives. I'm speaking from personal experience. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews. We looked at that passage earlier. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 8. Let's just look at it again, a specific section of it. Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 8. What does he say here? 
You have forgotten the exhortation which was addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. That is why we carry on, carrying on. It is for discipline that we endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, here's a warning. If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now I'm not saying, this text is not saying if you're having a cruisy life, then um, you're an illegitimate. No. Sometimes God is gracious and he gives us periods of life where we can go peacefully through life and everything goes well. But sometime in your Christian life, if not more than, than fewer times, you will have times of fire. God has warned us about Why does he do it? Sometimes it is for discipline. It's not just always to test us. It is sometimes to discipline us. God's grace in action. He loves us. That's why he disciplines us. Sometimes we go through fires of self-denial and God calls us to fire of self-denial. Jesus called us to this. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 to 30, he speaks about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, strike it off, cut it off. God calls us to self-discipline. And self-discipline is not easy. Sometimes it does mean that we have to go through fire. We look around us and we see how easy people have got it. But I've got to go through a hard life because of the principles at work in my life that I want to obey. God calls us through the fire of self-denial. And it is going to have pain in it. Jesus calls us to amputate. Not literally, by the way. He calls us to amputate those things in our lives. Isn't that fire talk? I find that to be a real fire talk. Make war on your sin, says my favorite man, John Piper. Make war on your sin. Get rid of sin. Sanctification can only come through fire, says our text. And so what is life like in the fire? It is a life of trust in the refiner himself. You see, as believers, Jesus is the messenger of a covenant. And that covenant stands with you and I as we sit here today. Whatever you might be going through, whatever those hardships might might be in your life, there is a covenant over you. And that covenant is a covenant of love. Because if you're a believer here today, you are a son of Jacob. And the promise to the son son of Jacob is that God has loved you. Look back at chapter 1 verse 2. He has continuously loved you. He chose to love you. And that will continue. And so take courage in that. Why? Because in chapter 3 verse 6, has God changed? He says, no, I, I the Lord have not changed. That is why you are not consumed. God's love carries you through his fire. And therefore his promise stands. He is an unchanging God. And so fire to you and I as believers means refinement, but it's also an exercising of our faith. It's an exercising of our trust in the Lord. 
And then we will see what he does with our lives and how he completes our lives. And in the end, when Jesus appears, we will be turned to gold. And what a day that is going to be. When you look at yourself and you think, wow, is this what he meant? I'm now perfect in Christ. There's an old hymn which beautifully summarizes it like this. Take courage this morning. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. For I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand, all-powerful. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all-sufficient, shall be thy supply. We just don't tap into it. The flames shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, and this is the promise from the God of the universe, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. You take courage from that. You're going through hard times. The God of the universe has his omnipotent hand on you. Trust in it. And as believers, you will be molded while God works with you. But take courage in this. It will only last for this lifetime. After this lifetime, all fire is gone for you as a believer. Look at what chapter 4 verse 2 says. Here's a promise to you. Look at it as a believer here today. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the store. I'm looking for that day. I've seen calves being born this season. They're all around our place where we stay. And you've seen them gambling around the place like little lambs. Well, you'll be jumping around like that as a believer too one day when he perfects you, when he gives you your new body and he says, now come and live with me forever. You will jump around like a calf straight out of a stall. God's promise stands for you. And if you're an un unbeliever here today, God's warning too stands for you this morning. Hear the fire coming from God in judgment because that fire you might not experience in this lifetime but it will last for you for all eternity. I know which fire I would rather have. The fire that is short and not that long fire. Don't play with God's fire, says our text this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that even through this book of Malachi, written to the people of Israel a few hundred years before you came, Lord Jesus Christ, as a man to this earth, that those same principles for living still remain for us today. And Lord, thank you that we can see again that you are the unchanging one. And that you have promised us that if we are believers, you will refine us, you will not destroy. 
But you've warned that those who don't believe, they will have eternal fire when you judge. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you that we can either take comfort from it or that we are warned by it. But that your truth stands. It doesn't change either. And Lord, I pray that we would take heed. We would really put our trust in you as believers and we would draw from that limitless grace which you pour out on us when we go through hard times and times of fire in our lives. Lord, remind us that we are not on our own, that you are there to sustain us with your all-powerful hands. If we would only draw near. And Lord, may your warning also go out today. That if there are any here who are not believers, that they have heard your word and that they would turn from their state of rejecting you and your truth and would turn to you, the only source of life, the refiner's fire, and that they would receive life from you this morning. Lord, may they not delay. May they come to you today and receive life. And Lord, as we go from this place, I pray that as believers we would live out this truth so that when people look at us and we are going through hard times and they know we are going through hard times, they will see the peace that is in us. And that peace will testify of your goodness and your grace and they will be drawn to the living one, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the refiner's fire. And our prayer from our hearts this morning is, Lord, come Lord Jesus Christ, come so that we will be made perfect in you. Amen.